Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. I can't stop thinking about Monday's show. I have a mea culpa to make on that. I just, I feel like I want to apologise to you both. I didn't prepare for that segment enough. I thought I knew what I was going to say, and then I started talking about pegging and Prince William, and I just felt wrong, and I feel guilty that I dragged you both into it, and I, I, I'm ashamed. I think that this speaks to a universal Mum Mare Out Loud experience, which is that we often regret by Wednesday what we did on Monday, and we need to be transparent <laughs> with our audience. Well, by, by Monday night, we Yes, we go, ah, oh, why did we do that? And I disagree with myself. Welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud, what women are talking about on Wednesday the 3rd of August. I'm Mia Friedman. I'm Jessie Stevens, And I am Susan Carland filling in for Holly. Quick update regarding Beyonce listening to Monday's show as we knew she would and saying, great points made all round, I will change my lyrics. And she did. She changed the lyrics that we discussed. She had a representative come out and say that it wasn't intentional to use the word in a harmful way, but they will change it after having listened to disability advocates and the points they made. So that's good news. On the show today, a debate about trigger warnings. Are they helpful or are they doing more harm than good? And the great celebrity uncancellation. Will Smith has come back with an apology and we don't even know where to begin. But first... It's hard. It's hard for me to stand up and swim this morning. It's probably one of the biggest challenges I've had to, had to face. Um, I think media don't realise, like I said on my Instagram, how much impact it actually has on athletes and mental health. Um, and for me, uh, it took all my courage and all my energy just to stand behind the blocks and swim this morning. Um, it's not something that I, that I wanted to do. It's not something that I wanted to go through, to be honest with you. I've been so excited for this moment for such a long period of time and been working hard to be here for such a long time and for how it's unfolded. Yeah, definitely makes me, me question my future in the sport. This week, 28-year-old Emma McKeon became the most successful athlete in Commonwealth Games history after winning her 11th gold medal. In case you haven't been following the Commonwealth Games, Australia, we're winning. We're dominating. We're number one on the medal tally. It's my favourite time to watch any sport. 24-year-old Kyle Chalmers has so far won two gold medals. But this week, in an intense poolside interview with Kate Campbell, he said, it took all my courage and energy just to stand behind the box and swim this morning. Not one thing was spoken about how we broke the Commonwealth record and won the gold medal last night. Not one thing about that. So for me, it's heartbreaking. So what is Australia talking about? Well, Emma McKeon is currently dating another member of the Australian swim team. His name 
is Cody Simpson. The new Aussie sport power couple. Guys, how did all this start? Every morning he wakes up with some random song. (laughs) Very grateful for it, yeah. If you're thinking, hang on, isn't Cody Simpson that performer who won The Masked Singer and dated Miley Cyrus? Yes, same person. He took 10 years off swimming and has come back at 25, unheard of, makes him very old for a swimmer, has come back and is now incredible in the pool. It is unheard of. So what does this have to do with Kyle Chalmers? Well, he's the ex-boyfriend of McCann, and apparently they dated last year, and there's been rumours that there was a love triangle of some sort, totally unfounded, does not appear to be true. There was a press conference this week that was derailed after a barrage of questions about the dynamic with Simpson and McKeon and Chalmers all came out. And Chalmers has been very open about his mental health struggles in the past. And during an interview this week, he said, all these fake headlines, clickbait is really taking its toll on me. I'm getting out of the pool to my mum crying to me on FaceTime. I'm mortified in front of my grandparents. All I want to do is swim. Please shut up. Interestingly, then Joanna Griggs has come out and said that every time he talks about it, he's fueling the fire. So I'm kind of hoping that that Kyle stops feeding it because the more, even though I get he's feeling uh, incredibly swamped at the moment and he's not not coping with it, every time he mentions it, he he makes it a bigger story. I didn't know much about this topic, but when you mentioned it, Jessie, I couldn't understand why this had become a thing. You know, if they're saying there is no love triangle, I'm like, why is the media persisting with this line? And then I found this great quote from James Magnusson, who is a former 100-metre world champion of swimming. And he said to SEN Radio, which is like the sports radio network, he said, Cody has brought a new group of journalists into the sport the gossip journalists, and they're writing about the drama and the reality TV aspect of this swim team. So this is what's happened. Like all of this drama and the, you know, what's happening on Love Island kind of attitude has now suddenly been thrust onto these swimmers, even if it doesn't fit, even if there is no love triangle. So that sort of helped make sense to me as to why is this happening? But in terms of the mental health stuff, he's not even just being questioned. It sounds like he's being goaded by the media. They're like a dog with a bone. And the more he says, I'm really struggling, like he said about himself, my mental health is rock bottom was the word he used. Why that is still not enough after we've seen with other sports champions talk about the impact in tennis and in gymnastics, the impact that that's had on on their mental health. I don't know, like I get, yes, they need to be asked tough questions, but then ask them tough questions maybe about the swimming, not about a pretend relationship drama. I think what you said is such an aha moment for me because you're right. Cody Simpson is famous in a way that none of the athletes in these games are famous. And not only would I argue has he brought a type of journalist to the sport, he's brought an audience and a fan base to the sport who aren't that interested in swimming, they're interested in who Cody Simpson's dating. I think once someone says there is no story here and they've addressed it, to keep asking them and keep asking them and keep asking them, they're trying to get a story. It's it's that simple. Because, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of people who aren't interested in sport but they're interested in drama. I really feel for Kyle Chalmers on the one hand because as much as we talk about Are You OK Day and mental health, when a man puts his hand up, especially in the context of sport for some reason, and says, I'm not doing okay and there is something you could do to make my life a little bit more tolerable right now, we all call him a sook. I've looked at the commentary on this and generally sports commentators 
media broadly have rolled their eyes at Carl Chalmers. They're looking at him going, this is the nature of the beast. You've got to find a way to deal with it. And I don't agree because I think what he's experiencing is actually new. Why? Why is it new? Because exactly as Susan said, Cody Simpson has brought a mm. new level of interrogation to so their love you, life. So you have to learn to cope with the speculation about you. I mean, I remember mm. interviewing Liesl Jones when she made a comeback to swimming and there were front page stories with pictures of her on the pool deck in her swimmers saying how she wasn't match fit and commenting on her weight. Mm. Now, that was something that had a shocking toll on her that she had to deal with as well. And I agree with you, there's, they feel it's not something they signed up for. When you're being asked in press conferences about it repeatedly, when you've said there's no story here, yeah, I guess that is new. The person I feel potentially most sorry for is Emma McKeon, because I don't think anyone can overstate how she is potentially the best athlete Australia has ever had. The fact she can dive into the pool, her performance is so consistent so outstanding. She is a 28-year-old woman who has had two boyfriends at different times. And yet the fact she has dated two people, I saw a a line in, in an article in a mainstream publication, which was like, her dating history is really eclipsing her success. And I was like, no, it's, how can having two boyfriends eclipse being this Star Didn't she win the 18th medal yesterday? Oh, 400 medals in two days. Yeah. Like she's just absurd. And she is stuck between a rock and a hard place mm. because she's clearly going, if I say anything, it'll make it worse. I'm trying to focus on my swimming. But imagine what's going into her focus. And again, that is why we started today's segment with how many medals this woman has won because her status as an athlete is the most impressive thing about this story. It's still Emma McKeon in front. Can she get there? Does she hold on? She's got her 11th. The Queen of the Commonwealth out on her own. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Trigger warning. There's going to be no trigger warning on this story. There probably should be, but we will discuss. (laughs) This week, there was a post on Instagram that I read and loved and wanted to bring to the table. It was by a woman called Rachel Casella. I've interviewed her on No Filter before. Rachel is a mother of several little people. Only one of them is still around and alive. She's written a book about her daughter Mackenzie, who was diagnosed soon after she was born with an incurable condition and died just before her first birthday. Rachel is an outlouder. And here's what she wrote on Instagram. 
She said, I did not receive a trigger warning before my baby died. If we want to change the taboo surrounding miscarriage, stillbirth or any other forms of pregnancy loss, we need to stop placing trigger warnings. When I first came into the child loss space, I felt like I should use trigger warnings, not because I wanted to, because it always felt wrong, but because society seemed to imply it was the right thing to do to protect others from my pain. I understand that child loss can be difficult to see. It's even more difficult to live through, I promise you. Usually those who need a trigger warning are those who haven't experienced it and who fear it, whereas those who have experienced loss usually understand the need to talk about our babies. Nearly every life event can trigger someone's fears or pain. I spent years triggered by people's pregnancy announcements and birth stories. I'm still triggered by people's birth stories in some cases, but I would never expect or ask someone to put a trigger warning on their life. It is up to me to protect myself, to look away, to unfold if I need to. Instead of putting trigger warnings on our lives, we should change the culture to make these real life events a part of our conversation so it's not such a shock so people aren't pushed into dark corners and so everyone knows where to get help. Our babies deserve better than being covered by a trigger warning. Suze, trigger warnings are a big issue interestingly in women's media and we'll get to that shortly. There's certainly been something that I've come to think of as trigger creep with trigger warnings now being on pieces of content about things like diets or exercise. Jessie, you've seen a few lately. Alcohol. So even, you know, having a drink and people will say if alcohol is a trigger for you. I see it a lot on Instagram. I've seen ones that say this is going to be a recipe for meat if meat is a trigger for you. I saw one for a horror movie poster and I just went, I mean, there's going to need to be a trigger for everything at some point. Is this really helpful? But academia is a really interesting space as well. It's crept in there too. And I'm interested, Susan, in where you stand on that. When I'm not here on the podcast filling in off the bench as the fourth banana, I work at a university. You know, obviously what I'm going to say here is not representative of my university or whether this is just my and myself grappling with this as an academic and trying to do the right thing and, you know, conversations that I've had with colleagues, but this is not an official position or anything like that. This is my position. And as we spoke about earlier, this is probably my position until tonight, at which point I'll change my mind. (laughs) So in terms of what a trigger warning is at a university for people that don't know what that would mean, a trigger warning is, is sort of a recognition that occasionally stuff that lecturers might put in subjects that we teach, it might cause a strong emotional response in some people. I've used them. I I put them in my courses. I've taught, you know, pretty confronting things. I've taught about genocide. I've taught about terrorism and I have included trigger warnings in the course notes. I've said them verbally as well. So I have, I have used them. What do you say? Do you say I'm about to talk about genocide, if that's upsetting for you, if they're learning about it, is you, like, what can they leave the room? Can they just skip that subject? Well, that's also a, a tricky thing because these are also assessed topics. So mm. it's letting someone know this is happening, but this is also the class content. I guess it would be like you can't have a trigger warning for blood if you're hoping to be a surgeon. You, you have to accept that this is, you know, if you're squeamish about cutting up dead bodies, well, you know, this is going to happen and be prepared for that, but this is going to happen for this course to proceed. What I've said, I think in the course notes, I say this topic will discuss the following things and then I list, you know, genocide, sexual assault, et cetera, et cetera. So they know. And then in those weeks, I sort of say just, you know, a reminder, it's in the notes, but just a reminder this week, we are going to be talking about genocide, for example. So Susan, is the idea maybe less that you get to skip it? It's that you're not 
surprised by it or triggered suddenly by it? Is that the intention? I think that is the intention with it at the moment, which no one wants to upset a traumatised person, right? That I would be horrified and I'm sure that's why so many other people use them and want to use them. I'm sure that's the intention behind them. For me as an academic, the reason I hesitate about them, even though I use them, is because as an academic, I'm interested in the research. There was a paper that came out in 2019 in a journal. It's called Clinical Psychological Science. And they published a paper by a bunch of researchers from New Zealand and the US that decided to investigate how effective trigger warnings work. Do these actually work? So they ran six experiments to college students, to university students, and to internet users, where some people were given a trigger warning and some people were not. And then everyone was exposed to the same, you know, difficult negative material. And then their distress was measured. And what was interesting was they found that people reported similar levels of negative effect, intrusive thoughts or avoidance, regardless of whether they received the trigger warning or not. And this was the same even in people who had histories of trauma. The results suggest the trigger warning, it's not harmful, but it wasn't helpful either. That evidence, and, you know, this was, you know, a rigorous academic paper. This wasn't just, you know, joeblogspot.com or whatever. And I think that's something that we need to keep in mind that with our concern, are we actually being helpful? But also from a psychological perspective, you know, a very basic premise of psychology is that you don't treat people's discomfort or fear or trauma just by avoiding the thing. But like I said, you know, trauma is also real. It's not nothing. We we have warnings on TV shows. Ever since I was a kid, this TV show will contain violent sex, et cetera, et cetera. So this is not something new either. I'm grappling with this myself as an academic. I read that research too and wondered how useful it is. And the other theory that's come up is something called the nocebo effect. So, you know, like a placebo, Mm. the nocebo If you're about to take a medication and it says on the front, this may cause dizziness, you're more likely to think you're experiencing dizziness, right? Oh, yeah. I relate to that. So the nocebo effect, the idea of that is that if we're constantly being told that a certain subject matter is going to be distressing and triggering to us, we may start to find it more distressing Mm. and triggering. And I've been in therapy and had particular instances that I found traumatic and the thing that you are advised this is in a controlled safe environment of course but you are advised that avoiding the subject matter makes it worse so if you're anxious about spiders it's like the thing that will help your anxiety about spiders is to come into contact with them avoiding them actually makes anxiety worse Mm. Mia you've been in women's media since you're five years old trigger warnings weren't as much a thing when you started and they've really especially in the last five ten years ramped up yeah I would say in the last six months things have become Mm. quite out of control so I've also looked into this as well because I've been as the person in charge of Mamma Mia I have to be ultimately responsible and and think about those things on our content and so I've been looking into it as well and I've discovered that the rise of trigger warnings has only really happened with women's digital media. So it's not something that happens so much in mainstream media. The idea of a trigger warning, and a trigger warning is different to a content warning because there are certain things that the press council mandate or or say that you, you should and or perhaps have to do as a media company. One of them is that you have to give a content warning when there are images or names of Indigenous people who've passed. 
there are certain ways that you have to report suicide and a lot of it is just sort of up to the discretion of the mm. media company, right, or the person making the piece of content. So in my mind, the content warnings that are important, and again, content is about the content, not about the person reading the content, which is more about who's triggered. Things like graphic depictions of violence, graphic descriptions of violence, anything about child abuse, in some cases suicide. But what I've noticed with the idea of trigger warnings is that it's become the responsibility of the person who creates or publishes a piece of content to protect every person who's going to consume that content from feeling a negative emotion, whether it's pregnancy loss, eating disorders, diet culture, exercise. You know, the trigger warning I read on a, on a newsletter last week was this person was talking about how they've started jogging. And it's like, just a trigger warning. If reading about exercise makes you feel bad about yourself, you might want to skip this. See, that to me reads as well like virtue signaling. Is that genuine and authentic an expression of, I do not want to trigger anyone? Or is that a way of saying, I am participating in the kindness Olympics where I'm showing you how kind and considerate I am of people? I think it's a little bit different to that. I think it's trying not to get cancelled because ah. the, the worst thing you can do in this age is offend someone. And I think we can all agree Ooh. no one intentionally wants to offend anyone. And when I interrogated, because, you know, the trigger warnings have been creeping up at Mamma Mia as well and our podcasts and our written content, and I talked to the editorial team and I said, hey, guys, what's going on? And they said, when we don't put a trigger warning on something, we'll get complaints not from a lot of people, but from the people who do, they're so angry and they're so indignant that they've been upset by this mention of miscarriage or a diet that it's just easier to put a trigger warning on. And and my problem mm. with that is that it is an arms race because how can I, like on this podcast, how can I we be responsible for every single thing? I mean, there are so many things that trigger me when mm. I say trigger, give me anxiety, make me feel upset. That's my responsibility as I navigate the world. But aren't there particular things? I mean, I agree with you to an extent, but the argument would be, aren't there particular things that we know do trigger people? For example... But what does trigger even mean? Like back to Rachel Casella's post, and this is new. I've been writing about miscarriage and I've experienced them for, you know, I've been writing about it for 15 years now, 20 years now. And I would say this is new, this idea that you have to warn people before you even you I don't mean a graphic description of a miscarriage. I mean, before you've even say I've had a miscarriage. How is that helpful? There are particular human experiences that are traumatic and we are becoming more and more understanding of what trauma is and the impacts and how debilitating it trauma can be. Trauma is subjective though, Susan, isn't it? Yeah, but don't you also think the problem is we're now calling everything trauma. Yes. So now seeing meat at the supermarket might need a trigger warning. So it's taking away legitimate like the whole area this started in was back in world war one when mm. men were coming back from the war and they found that this sound would give them trauma or this smell would give them trauma because of the genuine yes. trauma they experienced in the war so this is not a new thing this isn't being invented by the snowflake generation or whatever however i think the unease a lot of us feel is that now everything is trauma me writing a thing about i went for a run and it was so great could that be trauma for someone? And I guess it's about us trying to fumble through and work out where is the legitimate line of this thing, this is genuinely traumatic and we've got to be sensitive around that. And this thing, well, this is something you've got to try to manage yourself. And where that line is, I guess, is where we're grappling as a society. Is it 
always trauma though, because one big space trigger warnings operate within is eating disorders, which might not necessarily be trauma, but you could be triggered. And the way that people will talk about it, and there has been research done in this space, is that if you are someone who has a history of eating disorders and you read about certain behaviours, a figure on a scale about this person was so anorexic that they weighed blah, the way that your brain is wired is it almost can't forget that. And then you've unintentionally come across this and it has exacerbated symptoms of a mental illness. So in that case, would you agree it needs a trigger warning? No, because there are reporting guidelines to say that you shouldn't do that. So that's content. We wouldn't have a graphic description of of someone's eating disorder and what they did and how much they weighed and the habits because that's seen as very irresponsible in the same way that we don't give descriptions of how people take their own life. Yes. But if just for example, if we had a trigger warning on this show, what are the topics that we've so far mentioned just in an average episode? Well, we've talked about mental health, so we probably could have had a trigger warning. And, I, you know, I had an eating disorder. I've had a miscarriage. I have got health anxiety. I, You know, all the different things. I don't expect the world to protect me from feeling emotions. And I would argue that feeling those emotions is part of being human. And a lot of research suggests as well that if you're, say, a survivor of sexual violence, the triggers can be really unusual. It can be the shape of a door. Mm. It can be... Yes. The, the smell of aftershave yes. that someone was wearing. And yeah. that cannot be warned against. And so people who have really complex trauma, is it them we're really helping, which is the the big question? And it's something we're navigating all the time. So I want to know what Outlouders think. Tell us in the Outlouders group or on our Instagram. We want to hear from you. If you want to make Out Loud part of your routine five days a week, we release segments on Tuesdays and Thursdays just for Mamma Mia subscribers. To get full access, follow the link in the show notes and a big thank you to all our current subscribers. Ladies, the great uncancellation appears to be upon us. And by that, I mean that we're seeing what the path back looks like after someone is cancelled. So five months after he slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars, Will Smith has issued a six-minute apology video on his YouTube channel. Here is a bit of what he said. Disappointing people is my central trauma. I hate when I let people down. Uh, It hurts me psychologically and emotionally to know I didn't live up to people's image and impression of me. I am deeply remorseful and I'm trying to be remorseful without being ashamed of myself, right? I'm human and I made a mistake. I'm trying not to think of myself as a piece of shit. So I would say to those people, I know it was confusing. I know it was shocking. But I, I promise you, I am deeply devoted and committed to putting light and love and joy into the world. Now, he was banned from all Academy events or programs for 10 years following his, quote, unprecedented behaviour. But is Will Smith on the road to redemption? I don't know if you've noticed, but it looks like he's just slowly coming back. Mia, have you noticed this? I have. And I think it's really interesting, this idea of this path back from cancellation, which I am have to say I'm happy about because as more and more people are cancelled for more and more things, 
It's not like the legal system where, you know, you're found guilty in a court of law and you go to jail or you get a fine or whatever and then you're seen to have done your time. Because cancellation is such an amorphous thing and yet the consequences of it can still be pretty huge, it's like who gets to decide when you can make another movie? I mean, I noticed interestingly Johnny Depp is back on the Dior Sauvage Mm -hmm. fragrance ads. I drove past one the other day at a bus stop. Theory. So you know how you were saying punishment, right? So you've like people saw that what Will Smith did as a sort of crime, blah, 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 what was his punishment? My theory is that the punishment or the community service that a celebrity must do is therapy. And then they have to come back and use therapy speak to explain what they did. So he has come back Mm. and the first thing I noticed when I watched his apology was this is a man who has been doing therapy every day for the last three months, which I love. Central trauma, great. What he said about I am trying to be remorseful without being ashamed, research says that being ashamed is one of the most crippling, unproductive, useless emotions. remorseful is very, very different. Remorseful means that you're looking to change and do better. If you're stuck in a shame spiral, you don't get out of it. I thought this apology was one of the best I've ever seen. Why did you love it? Because And we didn't play the part. He he did it in three parts and it was very, I mean, you know, it's Hollywood. So he was in a weird kind of therapy-like setting and it was as if he was answering questions that people had submitted, like an Ask Me Anything. Which I think But it was all clearly very, very scripted and he's an actor. I'm not to say he's not genuine as well, but it was just there must have been so many meetings about recording Mm. this. It was managed well. Yes. The questions were fabulous because they were exactly the questions people would ask him if they, you know, met him in the toilet at a bar. Questions were great. His answers were fantastic. He spoke a lot about Chris Rock and he apologised to Chris Rock and Chris Rock's family and his mother. So, I mean, in this part that we played, it was very much about him, but Mm. the whole apology wasn't about him. A lot of it was outward looking, not inward looking. Yes. And acknowledging that there was no way that was ever appropriate how he keeps replaying it, how he was foggy afterwards and that's why he didn't apologise. And what I quite like about the rise of these celebrity apologies, and I think Lizzo's is actually in the same camp, is that we are now allowing space for an explanation, not an excuse, an explanation. Susan, did you, were you a fan of this apology? I wonder if what we're seeing now with Will Smith, but other people as well, at least with rich celebrities, is that cancellation is a choice. What I mean by that is I don't mean that people who are cancelled deserve to suffer and they disappear or whatever. What I mean is we're now seeing examples of people who just choose to say, nope, sorry, I'm not going anywhere. I apologise. I'll try to make amends. I won't do it again. Mm. But I'm not going to disappear. And I'm not just talking about people like Will Smith or Lizzo, but remember Joe Rogan during COVID, how he was absolutely slammed for having, uh, you know, the discussions that he had about COVID on his podcast and whatever. And then this montage of him saying the N-word came out. He issued some really sincere apologies. Like that, I watched them and they, I felt they were really genuine. And he just kept going. Like his podcast is still happening. He never took himself off. He never stopped, you know, he just kept going. And I think at least for rich people, if you're like you own a, I don't know, a cafe and employee said something and you're destroyed, it's a different kettle of fish. But I think for rich celebrities, 
they can actually just choose to say, I'm actually just not going to go anywhere. I'll apologize and I'll own it, but I'm not disappearing anymore. Quick recommendation. It's a show on Netflix that was recommended to me by an outlouder. It's called Uncoupled. And all you need to know is that it's like Sex and the City, except a gay version. And Carrie is Doogie Howser. <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris plays a guy who ends a long-term 17-year gay relationship with his partner and is suddenly single in New York. And he's a realtor. So it's all, you get to see all these fabulous apartments. There are two older female characters who are fabulous and the whole thing's just fabulous. It's Darren Starr who did Sex and the City and also Emily in Paris. So it's got that vibe. Uncoupled, eight episodes on Netflix. I'm obsessed. I've heard so many good things. That's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for listening. It was a big one. It was a big one. I'm feeling a little bit hot. Like I got a little bit worked up. Yeah, it's a bit warm in here. The producer of Mum Mia Out Loud is Emma Gillespie. And we will see you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Big thanks to anyone listening who has become a Mamma Mia subscriber. Subscribers get access to every podcast, exclusive videos and all the great articles on Mamma Mia. Subscriptions cost as little as $5.75 a month. There's a link in our show notes.